You can turn your Bibles to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 14 this morning, verses 9 through 13 will be our passage, and today the title of our message is God's Perfect Love and Justice, and we really see both of those in chapter 14, and uh, this is really one of the passages of the Bible that can be very difficult for us to, uh, not difficult to understand what it says, but difficult to understand why it says what it says and the implications of it. Today we are dealing with the, the idea of eternal conscious torment for unbelievers. And it is not a, it's not a, not a topic that I personally would pick if I wanted to, was just going to uh, preach a topical sermon about something. Uh, this may be one of the areas that I would tend to avoid. And that, that is a big mistake. There, there's a lot of places in the Bible uh, like that. And that is the advantage of teaching verse by verse through books of the Bible is that, well, you don't have a choice. So when you come as a, as a man uh, to a passage in the Bible that speaks about the role of women in the family and these kinds of things, well, yeah, that might be something I would want to avoid, but that's impossible. If you're just going through a book of the Bible, you can't, you can't do that. And that's the, that's the beauty of understanding the whole counsel of, of God's Word. It has some things to say to us that we may not uh, really like. But nevertheless, all of Scripture is inspired, and all of Scripture is applicable to us for the purpose of helping us to be godly people, live in the way that He wants us to. And that's kind of where we, where we come today with our passage, of course, this, this passage isn't uh, standalone. This isn't like the book of Proverbs where we just go to a, can go to a page and read something and come away with an understanding. Uh, we have to fit this into the context of, of what we're studying, and that is we find ourselves in the midst of the tribulation period, I believe literally in the midst of the tribulation period, kind of the midpoint of this future seven-year period where God is going to uh, pour out his wrath on the world, all with the purpose of bringing the nation of Israel to faith in Jesus as their Messiah. Because that is, that is the, the single uh, thing that needs to happen in this world for Jesus Christ to come and rule and reign over his creation is his nation trusting in him as their Messiah. The Old Testament makes that very clear. This portion of the New Testament is telling us how that's going to happen. Now, why? Why? Why, why, why does Israel have to believe? Well, uh, that goes back to the, to the promises that God made to them. God is, is, a, is a person. He is a God who makes promises to people. And he made a promise specifically to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh, that he would make them a nation, make them really the center of the world. And that the ruler 
of the world, God the Son, the eternal God the Son, would come and rule and reign over this kingdom if only you will believe in me, God says to this people. And this is telling us how that is going to happen. This seven-year future period where these this wrath of God is going to be poured out, bringing the nation of Israel to the point where they will trust in Christ. So we find ourselves in chapter 14 uh, in this uh, interlude or intermission, if you will, in the narrative where we're finding out more information about why these things are happening. Chapter 12 is really a brief history of the world. Why is any of this happening? Well, there's two forces in this world, uh, kind of a force, not that they're equal, but there's a force of good, that's God, and his plan for the world in Jesus Christ. And there's a force of evil that is opposed to everything that God is doing in this world, and that is uh, exemplified in a fallen angel by the name of Satan who is trying to oppose God at every turn. And he's in this seven-year tribulation. He's going to use two people to do that primarily. The Antichrist, chapter 13, tells us, and this false prophet. And they are going to, these two individuals are going to lead the vast majority of the world astray. They are going to convince the world that it's a good idea to worship this Antichrist. It's a good idea to worship Satan rather than God. And uh, if you do that, then you can eat, you can have a house, you can uh, cooperate in, in the world system. And if you don't, we're going to cut your head off. This isn't uh, uh, canceling from Facebook if they don't like what you think or even losing your job. No, this is, this is losing your life. You are left with a choice whether or not you will follow God or follow Satan. And, if, and chapter 14 lays out the destiny of believers and unbelievers. And that is the difficult section that we are moving into this morning in uh, beginning in verse 9. But last time we saw that God is very concerned with the salvation of people, uh, perhaps maybe even more obviously so during this incredible future seven-year tribulation period where, where he will send actual angels to pronounce things to people flying around in the sky. It specifically says in verse 6, this angel flying in mid, mid heaven, that's a, that's a uh, poetic term for the sky uh, around us that is visible to us. And uh, he's going to be pronouncing salvation in God. That's what we looked at last time in verses six through eight. This angel is going to tell people to fear God, understand who God is, and who you are in relationship to him. That's what it means to, to fear God. And these people, and this angel is announcing that you are to give glory to God. Uh, submit to his plan for your salvation. Submit to his plan for this world, how he is working in this world. Keeping in mind that this is during the tribulation period. The wrath is being poured out. God is still giving, miraculously giving, in fact, people 
a complete knowledge where you stand. This, this is it. This is the choice that you have to make. Are you going to follow God, fear him, give him glory, believe in him, or are you going to believe in Satan and follow him? And today we get to the consequences for that uh, decision. And then we see in verse 8 that Babylon is mentioned here for one of the first times in the book of Revelation. This city of Babylon is mentioned and that it is going to be judged. It is fallen as if it has already happened. And we should not take Babylon to be an allegory or some kind of uh, spiritual meaning, oh, Babylon, you know, whatever, uh, evil is fallen or something like that. No, that, that will give us a very uh, limited view of what God, the author of this book of Revelation, is trying to tell us. He's telling us that there is a city, and the entire story of the Bible, essentially, is the story of Satan being uh, using Babel, Babylon to oppose God's plan for the world. It's a literal place like every other place in the book of Revelation that is mentioned. Geographical place like the seven churches, Jerusalem. And the, if we want to talk about allegorical language, well, uh, Jerusalem, the Bible tells us when it's using allegorical language like it does about Jerusalem in chapter 11. Uh, So Babylon is a literal place that will rise in the future. There's going to be more to be said about that when we get to chapter 17, of course, but keep that in mind. It's a literal place. This, This book is describing history, history that hasn't happened yet, but it is describing real places, real people who have real decisions about what they are going to do in this future world. And those decisions have consequences. And so today we will see God's perfect love and justice. He's, he is, it is amazing to me when we understand what is actually being communicated here. He's giving a loving warning, then describing to them what the justice that is going to be administered will be, And then he even tells about the blessings of being a believer. We begin with this loving warning. Notice Revelation 14 and verse 9. It says, Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Notice that it says, Then another angel, a third one, followed them. So this is a third angel flying in mid-heaven, in giving this warning in the midst of the tribulation period. We've had the first angel that we talked about last week was the one that was pronouncing this gospel to the world. The second angel pronounced doom over the city of Babylon that's going to be the headquarters of anti-Godism, if you will, in the tribulation period. 
And now we have a third angel who is warning people of the consequences of following Satan rather than following God. This is truly a loving warning that we are seeing here. Right in the midst of the tribulation period, the wrath is already being poured out. We don't have to try to equivocate or, or make excuses or anything. The wrath begins with the first seal judgment being broken way back in chapter six of the book of Revelation. It's not at some point uh, subsequent to this. It's already started. The, the people of the earth recognize that in chapter six. Oh, this is what all those uh, dispensational Christians were talking about, this seven-year tribulation period. And by the way, where are all those people? They're not around here anymore. This is kind of weird. Maybe what they were saying was actually true. It seems like we might have a decision to make. The wrath of God is being poured out. And in the midst of that, God is sending angels to people to announce to them that you need to believe in God. You need to fear him. You need to give him glory. You need to trust in him. His head, Satan's headquarters is going to be destroyed. And furthermore, verse nine tells us if anyone worships this uh, beast and his image and receives this mark, you are going to receive an eternal punishment. That is a loving warning that is being given miraculously to the people of the world. All the information is out there for the people to make this choice. If they worship, present tense, if anyone worships, present tense, this beast and his image. We see that what is being described there in Revelation 13, 11 through 15, that we talked about this image of the beast, the beast here being the first beast, the Antichrist, if you'll remember, the false prophet, the second beast is going to make an image of the Antichrist, some kind of idol. I don't know what it looks like, uh, but it's not described in detail. But somehow, miraculously, it's going to be brought to life by this false prophet it's going to be put into the temple in Jerusalem. And these two are going to declare that you must worship this image and this beast, or you're going to die. God understands this. He knows this is going to happen. Clearly, uh, we're reading about it written nearly 2000 years ago. We're reading about this future event that will take place. God knows this is going to happen and he gives people the choice whether or not to do what the false prophet and antichrist say or keep their faith or have their faith in God and worship God rather than this image. And he's warning them about it in the midst of it. Perhaps in uh, when this event is taking place, perhaps that image is already there in the temple. Uh, we don't really know precisely the timeline of how all of these events are going to fit together perfectly. We have a pretty good idea uh, that, and my feeling would be that yes, that that 
image is in the temple at this point in history, and God is warning the people of this world, do not do it. Don't worship that image. If you do, there is going to be a consequence for that. Notice also, not only are they warned to not worship the beast in his image, but they're also warned to not receive the mark on the forehead or the right hand. This is something that the, that the false prophet during the tribulation period will require of people. Uh, we spent some time talking about how this is not happening today. The world very, uh, it seems very obviously is being conditioned for this idea of taking a mark in order to go to a hotel, buy food in the store, go to your favorite sports game or whatever it is. Certainly the world is being conditioned for this, but do not downplay what the words of the text say and think that, oh, this is the mark of the beast today. Oh no, that is in the future. Where, and it is a sign of worship of Satan, essentially. And it tells us specifically that this is a mark on the right hand or the forehead, verses 16 through 17. He, the false prophet, causes all the small and the great and the rich and the poor and the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. And uh, we spend some time talking about what the mark is and what the mark is not primarily uh, the th things to keep in mind there, how to apply biblical knowledge to your, to your everyday life so that we can, so that the peace of God can guard our hearts and our minds. And it, God is very concerned with our uh, mental well-being, uh, not just our spiritual well-being. Obviously, he is, uh, he is the great physician. He can, he Jesus performed a lot of physical miracles, maybe making people physically well. He also made people uh, mentally well as well. He cast out a lot of demons from people. And that, that's something that we may not fully understand, but it, in large part, it's going on in your, in your mind that, that these people who are indwelt by demons are mentally tortured by this. And Christ cast this out of them and they're restored to a level of mental health. We see that in the gospels very, very clearly. He, he is very concerned with our mental well-being and the word of God, when it's properly understood and applied to our lives can give us a sense of well-being about this physical world in which we're, in which we're living in. So we we as Christians today can have a measure of, of uh, calmness, understanding that we're not taking the mark of the beast today. Now, our minds need to be sharp. They, we need to be aware about things that are going on in this world today. But no one is taking the mark of the beast today because it is a physical mark of some sort, according to the word 
the word of God. It is on the right hand or on the forehead, according to the word of God. It is either the name or the number of the beast, according to the word of God. And it, it will be a requirement to buy or sell. And we know that this is in the tribulation period because it, that's when it's being described as taking place during the tribulation period. So we can also know what the mark isn't. It's not an ID card. It's not a credit card. I don't think it's even a microchip. It's not an app on your phone. It's not a vaccine. It's a physical mark that is on your right hand or your forehead as a sign of worshiping the beast, a sign of worshiping Satan. So yes, be cautious about what you're putting in your body and these kinds of things. Be educated. Know, know what it is that you're doing, but also know that in today's world, you're not take, physically taking the mark of the beast. It's not possible. This will happen during the tribulation period. Uh, these unbelievers are going to be deceived into taking this mark of the beast. We read that in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Notice that they are being deceived. They're making a choice. They're making a wrong choice, but they are making a choice nonetheless. This warning coming from God makes that very clear. If they didn't have a choice, he wouldn't warn them. There would be no purpose for the warning if the people were just robotically already pre-programmed to make the, the, to go in this direction. They're not even making a decision. He, what would be the purpose of warning them? That would be kind of mean in some respects. Oh, I know that you're going to do it. I know that you have no other choice but to do it, but I'm going to warn you about it. Anyway, 2 Thessalonians 2.9 says that is, the one who is coming in accord with the activity of Satan, describing the Antichrist with all power and signs and false wonders and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish. Why? Because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. If ever there was a generation in this world who didn't love the truth, it's the one that we are living on, living in right now. They don't love the truth. They love their own version of the truth, certainly not God's truth. That's very dangerous ground to be on. Another sign that we're getting very close to these, these events taking place. Verse 11, for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence. An influence, not, not a decision. He's not sending a decision to them. He's, he's sending a deluding influence. He's giving them essentially exactly what they're asking for. He's going, to, he's going to allow it to happen. He's not making them choose. He's sending this deluding influence, which in large part is going to be the, the very ministry of the false prophet is the deluding influence. And so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. Notice that they are making a choice. They decided to not believe the truth. They decided to worship Satan. Why? Oh, because Satan is all about sin and leading people astray. 
he comes as an angel of light to, to deceive us into living lives that are contrary to God's word. And of course, that can be pleasurable fleetingly. There can be fleeting pleasure in sin, and that's what he is deceiving people with. And they are making a choice to take this mark to worship the beast. And when they do, in spite of this warning, people are still going to to do it, and then they will endure the wrath because of their decision. Verse 10, he also, if they worship the beast, receive the mark on the forehead or on the right hand, verse 10, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. This Notice this is a future event. This is in the future tense uh, there in verse 10. He also will drink. So, again, choice, decision to make. If you worship the beast, if you receive the mark, then you will drink of the wrath of God. And we see this ultimately being poured out in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 14. Uh, But we'll get to more, more of that here momentarily. But notice that this is, even though it it uses the term mixed, it says that it's mixed in full strength, this wrath of God. You know, the wine that the people drank in the ancient times, it was a, a, a common drink and it was mixed to various strengths for, uh, depending on the situation. And so some of it would be very equivalent to, uh, today's fruit juice and that kind of thing, all the way up to, uh, mixed in full strength, like, uh, the whole thing coming coming at you. That's what this wrath is. God's wrath is oftentimes in the Old Testament compared to a a cup being poured out, and it is mixed in full strength. And in, in other words, uh, this is this is the hard stuff coming at you. This is the the wrath of God. And why is it compared to alcohol? Well, it, it's kind of because the 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 consequences of this wrath are unavoidable, like the, un- the consequences of drinking unmixed wine. There's going to be a consequence if you, if you drink that. Something is going to happen. Same idea with the wrath of God here. It is unmixed in strength. Proverbs 20 and verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. The terror of a king is like the growling of a lion. He who provokes him to anger forfeits his own life. That is, uh, those two thoughts there in Proverbs 20 verses 1 and 2 may seem unconnected in some parts, but when we view it in light of this unmixed wrath of God being poured out or this mixed and full strength wrath of God being poured out, these people are making the king angry and he is pouring out his wrath upon them. It is an unavoidable consequence of making this wrong decision concerning who you are going to worship. 
are you going to worship Satan and have all the pleasures of life and, uh, and enjoy those kinds of things? Or are you going to worship God? and perhaps suffer some temporal consequences now in this life, but eternally you are going to be secure. Exactly the opposite for those who decide to worship the beast. And notice again that this is a loving warning that God is giving to all of humanity here. In the midst of the tribulation, he's giving them all the information putting it all out there for you, that you, you have a decision to make. It's not a settled thing at this point in time. You can follow God or you can follow Satan. And essentially, we have the same choice today. It may, the, the consequences may not be as immediately dramatic for us today, but we have the same decision to make. And Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28, do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. In other words, uh, don't fear people and the, the uh, consequences that may come due to Uh, following God rather than the world system. They may even be able to physically cause your death, which is very true for these people in the tribulation. Uh, The the persecution that we're facing in this world today as as 21st century Americans is, it's becoming more and more real. There are plenty of examples of that. And around the world, Obviously, there is some great consequences. It's been said that more Christians have been martyred in the 20th century than all the other centuries combined. And uh, I'm not a sociologist, so I don't know if, if that is true in fact, but a lot of people have been and are being martyred for their faith. And they are not fearing those who are able to kill the body. Rather, they're fearing God who can just completely, utterly destroy you in hell. But God is is loving. So loving, in fact, that he died for us when we were his enemies, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And here he demonstrates his, his loving nature again, as if we needed another reminder. But just notice in your Bible, that those words, the, the words of this angel are in quotes. They are being spoken uh, to these people. If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he's going to endure the wrath of God. This is an angel flying around the earth and announcing this in a loud voice to a world that is faced with a very stark, contrasting decision to make. Follow Satan or follow God. And God is going to send angels into the sky to warn people about the consequences of their decisions. And he doesn't just uh, tell them, give give them the decision, okay, either choose God or choose Satan. He also tells them the consequences 
that this justice will in fact be administered. Notice verse 11 of Revelation chapter 14. It says, and and, still in quotes, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night. Those who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. This justice is sure. This punishment is sure. The language uh, indicates that very, very clearly that if you take this mark, then this is your uh, punishment. And notice that, that this too is, like I mentioned, is in quotes. This is part of the warning that this angel is giving. Not, not only giving you the, the decision that you have to make, but also the consequences of this decision. People have all of the information. Uh, they're being told uh, the cause of the justice, the worship of the beast, worship of Satan, and they're also being told the consequences here. And, this, and these consequences have an eternal nature to them in this decision. This is not an empty threat from a parent. Uh, there's one thing that I see an awful lot of uh, in airports Parents traveling with children, uh, it's a very hard thing to do. I feel very sorry for them uh, when they're doing this. However, uh, and maybe I did it, I don't know. You can learn from my mistakes, but don't give empty threats to your kids. Uh, Don't threaten them with something that you're not uh, willing or able to do because it sets a very bad precedent. Uh, like even with your dog. There's the great example. You can threaten your dog. Oh, if you do this, it's going to be really bad for you. And then, oh, you're so cute. Uh, who cares? Uh, that's not a good technique in raising, raising your children or your dog, for that matter. And the Lord doesn't do that. He lays out all of the truth of the matter and the justice will be administered. You can take that to the bank. It is, it is part of God's uh, world and God's way of doing things. He tells the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth all of the time. And it is up to us to align ourselves with that truth. And again, it's not perfectly clear that, the, that even the marking of the people has begun at this point. There's, there's got to be some kind of uh, time frame as this is as this is going on that's just the nature of the world perhaps uh, there's going to be uh, some deadline set for people by august 27th thou shalt have the mark or we're going to start cutting people's heads off and there's even a process to that of course they're not going to be able to immediately implement august 27th 2035 or 2235. I don't know what year it's going to be. They'll probably change the number of the year, I would guess, uh, in complete. Well, who knows? That's all speculation. Doesn't matter. Uh, (laughs) um, But they're not going to be able to implement the decision immediately on this day. If you don't have the mark, uh, you're going to be executed. No, there's going to be there's going to be a process to the whole thing. There has to be just logically 
speaking. And in the midst of that process, God is sending angels into the sky to warn the world about the choice they have to make and the consequences that they are going to suffer. So again, a a loving warning from God about uh, this situation that they are facing. He's giving them all of the information ahead of time. And notice that the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night. Those who worship the beast and his image. That term for torment there is basinismos, and it means literally that, torment, severe punishment, severe suffering is the way that that term is always used. But notice that it is uh, from verse 10 that this torment that they are enduring here, it specifically says, verse 10, that they're tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. So that is an indication to us that this, what is specifically being mentioned, at least initially, first, is justice that is right around the corner. Remember, we were in the tribulation period. We've seen the seal judgments. We've seen the trumpet judgments. We're in this break. Second half of the tribulation, the bowl judgments are about to be poured out in chapter 16 when we get there. We'll see these bowl judgments poured out. And this will be, the bowl judgments will be poured out by angels in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And we see that uh, there in Revelation 16, verses 2 and 3. Uh, where it says, so the first angel of these next seven group of seven uh, judgments, the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and it became a loathsome and malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshiped the image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became blood like that of a dead man and every living thing in the sea died. Uh, Verse 8 of Revelation 16, the fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun and it was given to it to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with fire, fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues and they did not repent so as to give him glory. Notice the fear God, give him glory or there's consequences. Verse 10, then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom became darkened and they gnawed their tongues because of pain and they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and they did not repent of their deeds. That's specifically the first part of this judgment is going to be coming immediately in the bowl judgments. The city of Babylon is also going to face and this same kind of fire and brimstone punishment because of their, because of the city's role in opposing God and his plan for the world. Revelation 18 
9 and 10, speaking of Babylon, says, And the kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and lived sensually with her, Babylon, will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, same word, saying, Woe, woe, the great city Babylon, the strong city, for in one hour the judgment has come. This this punishment for worshiping Satan uh, for individuals and for being the center of the worship of Satan, the city, Babylon, is right around the corner. It's about to be poured out. If you continue on this path, the justice will be administered. But notice that it, that it sort of melds into an eternal punishment. That uh, verse 11, the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. That, that Greek term there, it's the same term, uh, both times means eternity. So for eternity and eternity, forever. They have no rest day and night, those who worship the beast. It, it moves from a temporal uh, punishment in the bull judgments into an eternal punishment. And Jesus talked about that in Matthew 25 in verse 41, the sheep and the goat judgments, if you'll remember. Verse 41, he speaks to the, the goats, the unbelievers. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. That is at the end of the tribulation period. After Christ comes again, he will judge living people. So some people are going to survive. Even unbelievers will uh, survive until after Christ comes again and he's going to judge people. He's going to split them before he says anything. He splits them into two groups, sheep on his right hand, goats on his left. The sheep are believers. The goats are unbelievers. He casts the unbelievers, uh, sends them into the eternal fire, Jesus's words, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. The, the city of Babylon will also be eternally destroyed. This has never happened. Don't let any uh, preterist or non-literalist uh, try to convince you otherwise. The city of Babylon has never been eternally destroyed so that it cannot be inhabited again. It certainly didn't happen when the Persians took over Babylon. I mean, we have the book of Daniel that describes people still living in Babylon after the Persians came. We have the Babylonian Talmud, for one, that was written about 1000 AD, uh, 1500 years after the Persians came to Babylon. There were still people there. It's a very thriving uh, place. And so, therefore, when we see Babylon in Revelation... Yeah, people are going to live there and then it's going to be destroyed. Jeremiah 51, 55 through 57 will be fulfilled and Babylon will be destroyed eternally and no one will ever uh, live there again. 
And so this eternal punishment, the eternal aspect of this punishment is separation from the lamb, separation from God. So it moves from bold judgments being poured out. That's in your immediate future. Your eternal future is eternal separation from God, uh, from the holy angels and from the lamb. And that's something, that's the part that's kind of uh, hard for us to wrap our minds around. This, this casting into the lake of fire for eternity, we see that described in Revelation chapter 20. Uh, there's, no, there's no easy way around it. There's no, the, we should not discount it from the Bible like some are prone to do. Uh, Rob Bell being probably one of the most famous uh, people in Christendom who was, uh, disregarded the teaching on an eternal hell and uh, look him up today, see what he's up to. Uh, it's kind of a slippery slope once we start uh, deviating from what God's word actually says. And God's word is very clear that there is an eternal consequence for sin and for rejecting the God who loves us enough to not just go to the cross and die for us, but he loves these people enough to warn them with angels flying around the world and giving them all of the information. He loves us enough to give us his word, his Bible that describes all of this in perfect detail. We are without excuse. People in this world today are without excuse. All of the information is before us. Will you believe it? Or will you not believe it? And the consequences are even uh, laid out for us. There's no way around the doctrine of eternal conscious punishment for those who refuse to believe in Christ. Uh, Jesus' own words make that very clear. We cannot uh, possibly change this doctrine as it permeates the scriptures, Old and New Testament. A conscious eternal punishment for rejecting the salvation that is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus himself uh, talks about it. And it is based on one single condition. It's not based on keeping all the rules and regulations and having your life perfectly squared away and getting to the end and you're good outweighing your bad and you're just never really sure. It, uh, until you make it to the end and you go to the pearly gates and Peter's going to let you in or not let you in. That's absolutely ridiculous. That is a myth. The Bible is not a myth. The Bible makes it very clear that our salvation, our eternal destiny is based on one single condition. Do you trust in Christ and what he did for you? Or do you trust in yourself uh, or some other thing that you have invented. The Bible makes very clear that if we place our trust in Jesus Christ and what he did for us, he grants to us eternal life, nothing else required. Uh, one day we'll be able to see the thief who was on the cross next to Jesus, hanging on the cross in exactly the same circumstance as him, unable to join a church, unable to give money to a church, unable to help an old lady across the street, unable to be baptized even. 
but he was able to believe in the Jesus who was hanging on the cross next to him. And that's exactly what he did. And Jesus told him he would see him in paradise that very day. We can take that one to the bank. This is based on one condition. You either worship God or you worship Satan. No excuses, clear choice, laid out for the people the people of the world in the tribulation, literally announced from heaven, from the sky, by an angel to these people. There's no excuses. And this perfect love that God has for the world, well, it demands perfect justice. If, it, if, if, if he could just let people in, somehow outside of the system, well, that's not perfect justice. That's not even perfect love. It's not perfect love to let your kids get away with being disobedient and living in rebellion to you or to God. Uh, That's not love. That's something that's false. So uh, disobedience demands some kind of justice. And that's demonstrated in the fact that, that Jesus loves us enough to warn us about the consequences of our decisions. And he encourages us to not be afraid of people who can kill our bodies, rather fear God, the one who can, has the power to cast us into hell, and also the one who died for our sins on the cross. And again, Uh, This warning probably coming somewhere close to the midpoint of the tribulation, perhaps even before this marking process has begun, people are given all of the information, whether or not they want to trust in God or trust in themselves. And then uh, furthermore, God gives us the blessing for believing in him, that there's this great blessing. Not only is there a consequence for, for uh, disobeying or a consequence for not believing, but there is a great consequence for believing, particularly for these people in the tribulation. Verse 12 of Revelation 14 says, here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God in their faith in Jesus, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow with them. There is a great blessing for being a believer in this world. And guess what? It's not easy. It's not easy to do now. It certainly isn't going to be easy during the tribulation. It's going to take perseverance for them to do that, to avoid making uh, this decision with horrendous consequences. This is an encouragement. This statement is an encouragement to the tribulation believers in particular to encourage them to continue being faithful. Keep believing. Keep believing uh, in the Lord. Keep being faithful to the Lord. It's not saying that they need to persevere to prove their faith or to keep themselves saved. That would be completely contrary to uh, what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God is the one who is wholly responsible 
for our salvation. We don't do anything to earn it, keep it, prove it, nothing. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. He accomplished it all there. We receive it by trusting in what he did. And now God wants us to live in a way that is pleasing to him. In fact, he wrote entire books of the Bible about it. Proverbs being one of them that we're studying in Sunday school. The epistles uh, are loaded with information about how to be pleasing to him. In fact, most of the Bible is about how to please the Lord in light of the fact that he has saved us. This is uh, motivation for the Christian life. Keep on keeping on essentially is what is being said here. I know it's hard. God is saying, I know it's tough. I know it's difficult. I know you may even die in the process, but persevere. I know what it's like for you, God says. He lived in this world. In fact, he died one of the most horrific deaths that anyone has ever endured. But he knows that the reward is great. And it is meant to encourage us, especially uh, meant to encourage tribulation saints. But this, this, I believe, is really directed towards us today in this world. I, and John says, and I, verse 13, I heard a voice from heaven. This is different than the angels that will in the future fly around the world. He's, he, he's writing, I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. He's told to write down or he hears uh, from heaven. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Now scholars will say, oh, this is during the tribulation period. And from this point on, then they're going to receive a blessing. Well, maybe I don't think so. I think there's a great blessing today if we die in the Lord for uh, the Bible tells us so. <laughs> like it tells us so many things. Matthew, uh, Jesus's words, Matthew 5, 10, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's a promise for us right now. Not just tribulation saints or not people in the past. Yes, all of those, including us today. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So you're being insulted on Facebook or you're being insulted at school or in your workplace because you're a Christian and you're not doing the same things that other people are doing. You're not saying the same things or whatever it is, maybe you dress differently than they do, uh, be encouraged because your reward in, great, uh, in heaven is great. We should uh, take that one to the bank. People throughout history have been treated exactly the same way. You are in good company when you're being persecuted uh, for the Lord. So continue being faithful, persevere, because you are in good 
company. Oh, by the way, if you die in the Lord, the Bible promises us that we, if we are absent from the body, we are present with the Lord as believers. Now that is a blessing. Philippians 1.21, Paul says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's better to die than it is to live. According to Paul, we might have a different view on that. He didn't think so. Verse 22 of Philippians 1, but if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose, but I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. He says, there is a great blessing for being uh, in the Lord today, for dying in the Lord. We, uh, those who die before the rapture will be the first to be raptured, according to 1 Thessalonians 4.16. It might be in the blink of an eye, uh, but nevertheless, the Bible is orderly. It, set, it gives us an order of who's going to be resurrected first. So, you know, I would love to be in the rapture generation. I think that would be amazing. You're standing there and all of a sudden you see maybe, I don't know if we'll be able to see it or not, but dead people being resurrected and meeting the Lord in the air. That's your sign that, oh, I better get my life right with the Lord <laughs> in this blink of an eye. Uh, yeah, sorry, it's going to be too late. That's why we ought to be doing this now in preparation. First Thessalonians 4.16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. That is a great blessing. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. There is a great blessing for being in the Lord uh, today because you will not be in the tribulation period. Revelation 3.10, I also will keep you from the hour of testing. That hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Do you think having to make a decision between worshiping Satan and being able to eat and have a job or worshiping God and having your head cut off is a test? Yeah, that's a test. That's a test that according to Revelation is coming upon the whole world. Revelation 3.10 is a direct reference to the church, believers being rescued, not having to make that decision in the future, not having to choose between eating and dying in this exact circumstance of the tribulation period. We are rescued from that. I will keep you from the hour of testing, this time of testing that's coming on the earth. We will be rescued from that period. So continue being faithful, persevere. There is great blessing in being in the Lord. And furthermore, here's some more information for you. You're going to be judged for the way that you live. So yes, don't wait until the blink of an eye when you see the dead rising. Order your life today with the Lord because the Spirit says, the Holy Spirit says, so that they may rest from their deeds, verse 13, uh, Revelation 14 may rest from their labors for their deeds 
follow with them. This is referencing the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema seat. It's sometimes called 2 Corinthians 5 uh, verse 1 begins to describe this, how we are walking by faith, not by sight in the Lord. Verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether uh, good or bad. And so we ought to be living for the Lord today because there's great blessing in being in the Lord today. If we die in the Lord today, we will be absent from this place, absent from this physical deteriorating uh, body and present with the Lord in his heaven. We will be uh, raptured to meet him in the air as believers. We will be rescued from this period of wrath that is to come. And we, and therefore we ought to persevere in this life and we ought to order our lives after the truth of God's word. Second Corinthians five fourteen. for the love of Christ controls us having concluded this, that one died for all Therefore, all died and he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their, on their behalf. All of that is not, it's not meant to scare us. It's not meant to uh, uh, make us run away and hide. It's meant to motivate us to live for the Lord today. Live in light of his perfect love, knowing that is perfect justice is going to be administered. And let's go to him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this incredible book of Revelation that not only describes the future, but so perfectly describes uh, things that are relevant to our lives today. We thank you for it. We thank you for this ancient text. Thank you for the truth that we find there. And I just pray that the Holy Spirit would continually remind us of these things as we are living our lives and help us to be faithful to you, to be your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you and he also will bring it to pass. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great day.